It's been so fun to be here with you. Thank you for giving me the honor of getting to be in your church again. I'm excited about um, coming back in January. Did you know that um, <laughs> pastors, Buddy and Gay, have already put together another revival for January? You're, you're really going to get a treat because you get a whole lot of different speakers. And I get to speak one night, and you're going to get to hear different speakers on the other nights. And I just feel so privileged that uh, they've invited me back, and, and I can't wait to get back. Well... I'm kind of nervous speaking in front of these Bible characters tonight because, you know, I like to take stories from the Bible and unpack them and share them with you, and they, they're probably going to know every detail, and I may get a detail wrong, and they may, they may uh, have to call me on it. I don't know. But I, I want to share with you a story uh, as we dive into the topic on prayer tonight. I want to share with you a true story about a, young about a young man named Danny. He was only 14 years of age, and already at this young age, he had a reputation of being, seriously, the smartest young man in his country. Uh, now, it wasn't a huge country, but he had that reputation. And when I say smartest young man, yes, it meant he had a high IQ, but he was also smart in common sense. You know, sometimes when you find someone with a high intellect, they just don't have a lot of common sense. But sometimes you find someone who's gifted in both areas, and he certainly was. And not only did he have a high intellect, not only did he have good common sense, but he had a history in his young life, just 14 years, of making really good decisions. He chose his friendships wisely. And I believe that God wants us to be selective when we choose relationships and enter into relationships and friendships. And he just had a reputation also for making quality decisions. He lived a life for only 14 years so far, but so far he's lived a life of integrity. At this young age, he's showing a lot of character. Um, he handles responsibility well. But all these good things that I've shared with you about him, unfortunately, will also now serve to his disadvantage because of these good things, because of these wonderful qualities about Danny, he has been kidnapped by terrorists and he's been taken to another country, another culture. But Danny wasn't alone when he was kidnapped. His three best friends were also kidnapped with him along with several other young men, the brightest, the best. Maybe some of you know who I'm talking about. I'm talking about Daniel from the Old Testament. Now, I always have loved Daniel and the story about Daniel and the book of Daniel, but a few years ago, I decided I want to know more about this man named Daniel. So I began reading a Bible commentary on Daniel, and I found out that most Bible scholars believe he was only 14 years of age when he was kidnapped when he was taken captive. I had no idea. I thought, well, he's probably uh, an adult. And they just, you know, grabbed a lot of the career type uh, age men and took them captive. No, it was, it was teenagers uh, around 14 years of age. And they also believed that his three best friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, were even younger than Daniel. So, wow, 11, 12, 13, and 14-year-old young men who have been kidnapped, they've been taken by terrorists, the enemy, they're in another country now, and they're in a room being faced with all that is tantalizing, the best foods, the best drinks, they're hungry, it's been a long journey, and certainly they were tempted. But yet these young men of steel who had backbones of, of concrete didn't bow to the most tantalizing things that this country had to offer them because they had a strong relationship with Jehovah God. And it makes me wonder as I travel 42 weeks or weekends out of the year, it makes me wonder as I visit different churches, are we raising Daniels and Daniels today? I hope we are. And I've sensed, I've never said this to any other church, but I've sensed in this church thus far that we have some Daniels and Daniels. I've never said that to another church. But I really sense that. I sense some real leadership in this group, uh, in the teenagers themselves, but also, of course, in Dee and Trent and the amazing job they're doing. And I just, I, 
I kind of believe, I really you know, kind of believe that if we were to kidnap, we don't want to think of it in that terms, but if some of our teens today from our youth group were kidnapped and taken into another country, what would the equivalent be? Instead of food and wine and meats and drinks, uh, maybe it would be the latest techno gadgets. Maybe it would be the iPads, the iPods, the iWatches, the iCars. It's coming. <laughs> no, I don't know if it's coming. But it would be the latest uh, video games and all. I'm just kind of thinking if we took our young Daniels and Danielles and placed them in that room, I think they would have enough character and a strong enough relationship with God that they would look around and say, whoa, wow, ooh, I want it, but not sure that I see God in this, so I'm going to say no for now. And I, I hope that we as Christians around the world will start raising Daniels and Danielles with that kind of strength from the Holy Spirit to stand strong in this day and age. Well, I want us to open the 10th chapter of Daniel's book. Now, there's, there are only 12 chapters in his book, so of course we're almost to the end by this point. In fact, um, I know Daniel isn't a book that you probably open just real regularly, so let me remind you where it's at. It's, it's next to Ezekiel, and we're ending the near of the old... We're, ending, we're, we're moving toward the end of the Old Testament at this point. So let me just give you a few seconds to find it. If you have your own Bible, uh, we're not putting anything on the screen tonight. So if you have your own Bible, just go ahead and turn. I'll be reading from the Living Bible, so mine will be a little bit different than your version probably. But as we open the 10th chapter of Daniel, we a few facts seem to jump right out at us. Let's, let's just go ahead and begin. Daniel chapter 10, verse 1. Here we go. In the third year of the reign of Cyrus, king of Persia, Daniel had a vision. And it concerned events uh, certain to happen in the future, times of great tribulations, wars, and sorrows. And this, this time he understood what the vision meant. Okay, so Daniel is being given information to give to us. Good, because we need it about the end times. We need all the information we can get about the end times, don't we? But the thing that jumps right out at us as, as soon as we begin reading chapter 10, oh, there's a, in the third year of the reign of Cyrus, king of Persia, there's a new sheriff in town. There's a new sheriff in town, and he's been on the throne for the past three years. And three years ago, this new king released all the captives. He said, Daniel and, and all you other captives, you can go home now. We've held you captives, captive here for decades and decades. You can go home. By this time, Daniel may be close to 100. By this time, we are way past uh, Daniel in the lion's den. We've moved way beyond the uh, three Hebrew children, his best friends, in the fiery furnace. And a lot of people say, well, where was Daniel in that story? Uh, many Bible scholars believe that he was out of town on business for the king. And so that's why we don't hear about Daniel in that story. I always thought uh, that Daniel, when he was thrown in the lion's den, maybe he was about 30-ish, still in pretty good physical shape, good physique. So, you know, if a jaw of a lion happened to become loose, Daniel could still maybe give him a good karate chop, give him a good run for his money. But I read in my Bible commentary that most Bible theologians believe that when Daniel was thrown in the lion's den, that he was around 87 years of age. Wow. That amazes me. 87 years of age, and most Bible theologians believe he just slept through the entire night. Now, that could be another message on its own. To have such an intimate relationship with Jehovah God that right in the midst of persecution, you can just sleep through the whole ordeal. Hey, it's okay. I'm not losing any sleep over it. God has my back. I'm just going to sleep through this one. Oh, I love that. Now, I know some of you are thinking, Susie, when you're 87, that's all you do anyway. <laughs> that's true. My dad's 92, and anytime I visit him at his assisted living place, he's asleep. Uh, I get him up, and I say, Dad, it's about time for lunch. Come on, let me walk you in there to the dining room. And, and we sit down, and you know what? One time he fell asleep at his plate. <laughs> he just sleeps a lot. And a lot of people do when they're 87, but I don't think that's the reason Daniel slept through the night. I think it was because of his, his massive and intense confidence and intimacy in Jehovah God. So the first thing we notice, there's a new sheriff in town. He's been on the throne for three years. Three years ago, he said, captives, you can go home. I'm releasing you. So it begs the question, Daniel, why are you still hanging around? 
I mean, through the whole book, you've been praying for your people back in Jerusalem, your family, your loved ones, your friends, been praying and praying, and oh, how I miss them, and I'm burdened for them. I feel passionate about them. Okay, time is up. Go home. Why are you still hanging out here? It must be that even though his earthly king had released him, his heavenly king had not. Daniel knew that. He had discernment. So there must still be a job for Daniel to do because he has not yet been released. Then the next thing that we notice right off the bat is that Daniel, again, so passionate for his people back home in Jerusalem, he's been praying for three solid weeks, not just praying, but praying and fasting. And this is an intense fast. Not only is he saying, okay, I'm going to go without Coca-Cola for three weeks. No, it's way past that. Not only will I not have Mexican food for three weeks. Oh, it is way beyond that. This is an intense prayer and fast vigil. Listen to this. In verse 3, all that time, all three weeks, I tasted neither wine nor meat, and of course I went without desserts, and I neither washed nor shaved nor combed my hair. Wow, three weeks have passed. Daniel is pretty ripe at this point, isn't he? (laughs) Three weeks, he's not eating. He's probably eating just a little bit of vegetable or maybe a little bit of sustenance to keep, keep up what strength he needs, maybe drinking probably water, and that's it. But he's saying, not only am I eating the normal foods and, of course, not desserts and nothing, any, anything fancy to drink, uh, like wine or my favorite drinks, I'm, all that's gone, but I'm not even combing my hair. I'm, I'm not going to shave. I'm not even changing clothes, and I'm not bathing. Wow. That tells me Daniel is so intent on making sure that his prayer reaches the ears of Jehovah God that nothing else matters. Have you prayed that intensely? So much so, nothing else matters. It really doesn't matter what I look like, what I smell like, what you think of me, what your opinion is. I so want my prayer to reach the ears of God that this prayer and making sure it gets to him is the only thing in my life right now that matters. Wow, that is an intense prayer and fasting visual. Vigil. Okay, I'm going to push the pause button right now on this story. What? We're just getting into the thick of it. I know. We're just getting to the exciting stuff, but I'm pushing the pause button on it. I'll come back in a few minutes, and we'll push the play button, but we're just going to put it on pause for a few moments, and let's chat a little bit about this issue of prayer. It must be pretty important. Daniel's praying and fasting for three weeks. It must be pretty important all through the Bible. We hear about prayer and how important it is. It must be pretty important because Jesus did it an awful lot. It must be pretty important because we know that his disciples loved hearing their master pray. You see, they had not heard anyone pray like Jesus before. He talked to Father God like he knew him. He talked like they were related like they had a relationship, like they were friends, like they were connected. It was amazing. And God spoke back to him. And Jesus would turn to the disciples and say, I'm not telling you anything except that which my Father has told me to say. And through his entire ministry, Jesus kept repeating, these are not my words. I only say to you what the Father tells me to say, not my words. I'm only telling you what Father God has told me. And how did you know that? Because he spent time in prayer. But the disciples were so impressed that as they eavesdropped or overheard Jesus listening, they were so impressed with this conversational prayer. It's a real conversation. They could tell it's really getting through. There's no doubt, no question. His prayers get through. Don't you know when Jesus prays, he gets his prayers answered. (laughs) And the disciples were so impressed that they approached him, Jesus, oh, Jesus, could you teach us to pray like? That, yes, my Father, which art in heaven. Then he unfolded the beautiful Lord's prayer to us. Prayer is important. In fact, Philippians 4.16, pray about anything, pray about everything. Oh, and don't forget to thank God for his answers. In other words, uh, uh, Philippians 4.6, I think I said Philippians 14.6. Philippians 4.6 In other words, don't forget to thank God ahead of time even. 
Even before you know the answer, even before you've seen it coming, Father, here's my prayer, and I'm going to start thanking you ahead of time because I have faith that you will answer it. I want you to know right off the bat, as we're just starting this evening, God answers every single prayer. First of all, he hears your prayers, and he answers every single prayer. I don't think so, Susie, because I've prayed a lot of prayers that God has never answered. Well, he always answers. He may not answer them in your time, and he may not answer them in the way you want him to, but he always answers. His timing is not our timing. Habakkuk 2.3 says, if the time seems slow, do not grow weary. Do not be impatient. The time will come. Surely these things will come to pass. Sometimes God answers with a yes. Sometimes he answers with a no. And sometimes his answers are not yet, but he always answers our prayer. I believe in the power of prayer. And so I need to ask you tonight, how's your prayer life? Well, I pray before I eat. Thanks for the food. Help it to nourish my body. Okay, good. Well, and, and I pray, you know, when, when I need something. Okay, good, good. God so longs to hear your prayers. More than simply before you eat something like the great chili that we had tonight and the chicken and the spaghetti. But he longs to hear your prayers every day about everything that's going on in your life. Not just your needs, but your needs, your wants, your desires, your fears, your confusion, your, the things that are angering you. He wants to hear about everything that goes on in your life. Well, Susie, he knows everything anyway, so why pray? Because it's a bonding agent. It works like glue. It cements us to our Heavenly Father. Now, Gay and Buddy know that um, for the past 17 years, I've taken students each summer on two-week international mission trips. Counting all those years together, I think I've taken a little over 8,000 people on mission trips now. We always go to either Central or South America because that's the least expensive places for teenagers to go to. I always take adults to help us out, and Buddy and Gay have both been on uh, some of those trips, and... Uh, we were in Ecuador a few years ago, and one of our teams decided to spend a little extra time in prayer before they went out on their ministry assignment. Now, we always have breakfast together. Each team has breakfast together, and then they have their own devotional time and prayer time, and then we give each team a ministry list, and the leaders take that list. They get on their own team chartered bus, and they head out for their ministry for the day, and the ministries are planned out ahead of time. Okay, today, you'll go to these four places. Today, you'll go to these five places. Today, you'll... And the ministry we do is we present the gospel through a 22-minute pantomime drama, so no one has to learn a foreign language it's all set in Spanish narration and Spanish music and every team has their own portable battery operated sound system so they just pop in the iPod and uh, go out and then they can perform this drama and usually over a thousand each summer at least give their lives to the Lord we've had summers that 8,000 9,000 even 10,000 have given their lives to the Lord usually those are times when we're allowed to go into the public school system and we have huge audiences and when one does give his or her life to the Lord. We get the information, their contact information. We turn it over to local pastors who can then bring them into the church and disciple them and help them grow spiritually. Well, it was our last day of ministry in Ecuador. We would have one more day after this, but it was a tourist day. We would take everyone shopping. Then the next day we would fly home. And this one particular team, as I mentioned, spent some extra time in prayer. Father, it's been an amazing two weeks. Many have come to know you through our drama. Besides drama, we also help with orphans. We do work projects. But Father, even though we've seen a lot, we want to see more. In fact, today, on our last ministry day, we want to see you do in us and through us what we've not yet seen before. We don't know what that is, but we want you to just take control and do in us and through us more than what we expect. We gave them their ministry sheet. They loaded on their bus and they headed out. They presented the gospel drama in four different places. And even more people came to know the Lord. Good. It was another successful day of ministry. They piled back onto their bus. And they were on their way back to Hotel Quito for some free time in the giant swimming pool that practically wrapped itself around the hotel. Then we would have dinner and then we would have our final service together. 
But when they piled back on the bus, one of the translators turned to one of the team leaders, Lou. And the translator said, Lou, no one ever comes to my village. My village is so remote, it's so primitive, even compassion doesn't have a work in my village. Is there any way that we could talk the students out of free time and instead get them to come to my village and present the gospel through drama? Because some of my people have never heard about Jesus. So Lou said, let's just ask them, hey, students, remember what we prayed this morning? Yeah, we want to see God do more. Yes, yes. And she said, well, we have an opportunity to go to a village where many people have never heard about Jesus and the gospel has not been shared. It's pretty remote. It's pretty primitive. It's pretty far. Um, if we go, we're probably going to miss supper. We're going to be late for the service, but I'm going to leave it up to you. Do you want to do that or do you want to head on back for free time? And unanimously, yes, we want to go. So they drove as far as the bus could drive. And when the bus couldn't drive anymore because there was no more dirt, it was just bush, they got out of the bus. They already had on their drama costumes. They picked up their drama boxes with the props, the drama props in them. They picked up the cases with the, uh, the portable battery-operated sound system in them. And they began hiking half a mile, a mile, a mile and a half, two miles, almost three miles into the bush. It was really far. And, a, and 200 people came out to hear and watch this gospel presentation about Jesus. And after the presentation had been done, uh, some of our students began sharing their testimony through the interpreters that were there. And then after the testimonies had been shared and students had shared and explained the difference Jesus has made in my life, then one of our students had been assigned to what we call bring in the net. He would take the little portable microphone and he would give the call. He would bring in the net. Okay, you've seen the drama. Now you understand who God is. Now you understand who Jesus is and how he came to earth to die for our sins. And you know now that there's a heaven and a hell and that you cannot enter heaven with sin in your life. But Jesus died to forgive your sins and then he rose to life again and he's here and he would love to forgive your sins now who here would like to receive forgiveness for your sins we want you to come forward so you can be prayed for with an interpreter because we want you to be praying in your own language out of 200 people only one lady came forward this lady was the outcast she was considered the village freak she had been ostracized her entire life. No one would have anything to do with freak lady. Why? Because this piece of flesh in our mouths that we call a tongue really wasn't a tongue in her mouth. It was just a gnarled, warbled mass of flesh. And she couldn't speak. And because of that, she was the freak there was something wrong with her. Maybe, maybe she was even evil. Maybe she was contagious. No one would have anything to do with her. That's the lady who came forward to accept Jesus as her Savior. As best as she could, she asked Jesus to forgive her sins and to come into her heart. And Jesus did that. You know he did. And he touched her heart. But he also touched her tongue. And he, in that moment took that massive wad of gnarled, warbled flesh and smoothed it out and flattened it inside of her mouth. And she, for the first time in her life, began to speak articulately to her own people. They were aghast. <gasps> they couldn't believe it. She then took the little portable microphone and she began to say, now, now, you, now you know, don't you? That this Jesus that they've been telling us about is real. You know he's real because of what he's done to my tongue. You've never heard me speak before. I couldn't. But even though he's healed my tongue and he now has given me the ability to speak, i got to let you know I'm even more excited about what he's done inside of my heart. He's taken away my sins. He's forgiven them. And when I die, I'll get to spend forever in heaven with God. Oh, she was so happy. And though it was probably politically incorrect, <laughs> she began to point at villagers in the group. And she said, some of you need to, some of you need to come and get your sins forgiven too. 
Well, how do you negate a testimony like that? Yes, they couldn't argue, so they caught up and came forward, and a little revival broke out. At that point, most of our students grabbed the the jump ropes and the, the soap bubbles and dispersed among the crowds, but eight students stayed back with one of the team leaders, Lou, and helped her begin uh, assembling all the backpacks together and, and disassembling the portable battery-operated sound system, and they needed to get it back in the right casing and all of that. And 16-year-old David said, Lou, look, in the bottom of our drama prop box, (laughs) there's our leftover peanut butter and jelly sandwiches for lunch. Uh, I mean, those are the ones that we didn't need. I I forgot that that we threw those in there. We didn't even know because the props were on top of them. But this is great because we can give these leftover sandwiches to the people. Let's do it, Lou. Lou quickly counted there were only 20. She said, oh, David, I I don't think we can do that. Several of us have already counted. There are 200 villagers here. And with only 20 sandwiches, well, you know what will happen. We just won't have enough for everyone, and it would be too big of a risk. Now, I know many of you have been to Nigeria. You've been to other countries. This is a church that's big on missions. And some of you know when you're in a third-world country and you're in a situation where people are starving, a risk or a, a riot can break out real quickly when food appears. Not that somebody means to, to hurt somebody else, but when a mother has a child who's desperate for food, she will get that food. And in the process, she may hurt somebody. And though we had seen a lot of poverty in the last two weeks, this was the most impoverished that we had experienced. All the signs of malnutrition were there. The distended stomachs, the yellowing of skin, yes, Many of these people were starving and they needed that food. They needed the nutrition in peanut butter. They'd never heard of peanut butter, but they needed it. And Lou was just trying to be safety conscious as we, as we train our leaders in leader training. Don't do anything outside the box. We want to keep our kids safe, but we don't want to take needless risks. Well, sometimes there are risks in faith, in stepping out in faith. Lou knew that. She didn't want to be reckless. She was willing to take a risk, but she didn't want anyone to get hurt. She said, David, we just, we can't afford that big of a risk. I mean, where are we anyway? And what if someone does get hurt? We don't even know where the hospital is, if there is a hospital within an hour or two hours. And and how would we pay for it once we get there? And we've got to get back for the service. We're already late as it is. We we just can't do that. Well, 16-year-old David wouldn't let that go. He said, but... But Lou, those are our leftovers. So are you telling me that we're going to take those back to the hotel and just trash them? David, I'm afraid that's what we're going to have to do. I don't like that. I know it doesn't make sense. But we can't afford the risk of only handing out 20 sandwiches when there are 200 people that need the sandwiches. Well, again, David wouldn't let it die, said Lou. I don't know if I'll ever be able to go to sleep at night again. How do we rationalize this? We're here, people are starving, at least 20 can be fed with what we have. And she knew, she didn't want to do that either, but she just didn't know what to do. So she turned to those eight students around her, and she said, guys, I don't know what to do, so let's pray about it. What a novel idea. When you don't know what to do, pray about it. When your back is against a wall, when you're at the end of your rope, why not pray about it? Again, Philippians 4, 6, pray about anything and pray about everything. And don't forget to thank God for his answers. So she assembled those eight students together and she prayed just a simple prayer. Father, we don't know what to do. We don't want to be reckless and cause someone to get hurt. Yet we're willing to take a risk and step out in faith if that's what you want us to do. If you'll just let us know what your will is, we'll obey. And right then she was reminded of the story in the New Testament of Jesus multiplying the fish and the bread. And she said, now, Lord, (laughs) we know what you could do if you wanted to, but we're not seeking the spectacular. We just want to be obedient. Amen. (laughs) Just that short of a prayer. She still didn't have an answer. And she said to those eight students, I still don't know what to do. So this is what we will do. Each one of you, take a couple of sandwiches and stuff them underneath your shirt. Just put them underneath your shirt so you're not advertising food. And very discreetly, disperse out into the crowd. And once you've dispersed, again, very discreetly, reach under your shirt and pull out a sandwich. Break it in half and give it away. 
And then reach under your shirt again, pull out another one, break it in half, and give it away. Now, if all eight of you do that, probably each one of you will be able to feed maybe five or six people. We can't feed 200, but each one of you can feed five or six people. She looked at her watch and she said, time is of the essence. I really need you to be cognizant of your time, okay? We have to get back. She said, to do that, it really, seriously, should only take a minute and a half. So really, do it quickly. Come right back here. Let's get this together. Let's start moving back toward the bus and all the others will follow, okay? A minute and a half. Do you understand what I'm saying? A minute and a half. You can do this in a minute and a half, okay? A minute and a half. 20 minutes later... <laughs> 16-year-old David was clutching a sandwich in his fist. He was waving it above his head, and he was yelling through the valley above the heads of the people, Lou, I, I don't know what to do with my last sandwich. And without even looking up, just give it away, David. But then 15-year-old Emily was over here, and she too was clutching a whole sandwich in her fist. And she was yelling above the crowded group of people, Lou, what do I do with this sandwich? And again, without looking up, give it away, Emily, hurry up, come on, give it away. No, Lou, look. And Lou looked up to see 200 faces smeared with peanut butter and jelly staring back at her. God had literally multiplied the sandwiches. Oh my goodness. That can't be true. I, I promise I wouldn't lie to you. I wouldn't make up a story to, to make a point with you. It really happened. The same God who did miracles in the Old Testament, the same God who saved Daniel through a den of lions, who brought his three best friends through a fiery furnace, the same God who did miracles in the New Testament, who raised dead people to life and made blind people see, is the same God today, right here. <laughs> He's doing miracles, and he wants to do them at Salem Fields Community Church. He wants to do them in your minds and in your hearts. Some of us need a miracle. God is still in the miracle business. Lou said, Susie, we had no idea that we were in the midst of a miracle while it was happening. We were in the midst of a miracle, but we were blinded to it. We didn't know a miracle was going on around us. We didn't see loaves of bread multiply themselves. We never saw jelly exploding in the air. She said, but Susie, we counted, several of us. There were 200 people, and I counted, and so did others. We had 20 sandwiches. That was it. But Susie, just like it happened in the New Testament, after everyone had eaten, we went around with our drama boxes and picked up leftover peanut butter and jelly sandwiches and left them for the villagers. Oh, my goodness. What a difference prayer makes. So I need to ask you, how's your prayer life? Miracles are born through prayer. Unity with God, intimacy with Christ comes through prayer. Growing in our relationship with him comes through prayer. The whole relationship in Christianity, mankind, and God is based in prayer. How's your prayer life? Are you shooting up a couple of prayers in the middle of the day when you need something? Or do you have a real ongoing prayer life? May I challenge you tonight, if your prayer life isn't what it needs to be, would you allow God to help you move it up a notch? Step up a notch with prayer. Again, God longs to hear you pray. He loves it when you pray. In fact, he loves your prayers so much. Did you know this? That we're told in Revelation, he keeps, he collects your prayers. That's right. Depending on what version of the Bible we're reading, he keeps them in a bowl or a vase or a jar. Let's just use... Uh, bowl for tonight or a vial let's just use bowl for tonight so there's a bowl in heaven <laughs> and God has your name on it and every single prayer that you have prayed up to this point in your life is in that bowl did you know that every single prayer that you will pray from this point on will be in that bowl why why does God keep our prayers well He's got to have some kind of filing system. No, 
He doesn't need a filing system. He keeps your prayers simply because he's crazy about you. As Pastor Buddy said, he's madly in love with you. Oh, how he cherishes you. And anything that you give him is a gift. And he, he hovers over it. He savors it. He collects it. He saves it. And he keeps it in a special bowl with your name on the outside. Wow. That's a lot of love. My mom died 12 years ago. Again, I live in Oklahoma City, but at that point, I was living in Colorado Springs, Colorado. Of course, I was there uh, for her surgery and a few days later, and she never made it out of the intensive care room, intensive care unit. And then the funeral, and I stayed a few days after the funeral, and Dad said, now Susie, since Kent, that's my brother, since he lives here, I did this with him um, even before we took your mom to the hospital, before you had arrived, but now that the funeral is gone and before you head back to Colorado Springs, I, I want to do the same thing with you. I said, well, what is it? He said, I, I want you to come to the bank with me. I said, okay. Why? He said, I want you to sign a lot of papers. I said, okay. What kind of papers? He said, well, I want your signature, Kent's signature, and my signature on all the papers so that when the time comes for me to pass, you and Kent will get everything. You won't need to go into a court. There will be no red tape. Your names will already be on everything, and it's just an easy thing. It just slides over to you. I said, okay, Dad. But I kind of laughed inside because we don't have anything to get. I mean, <laughs> really, what are you talking about, Dad? I mean, we know how much Dad has. He has a little checking account and a little savings account, and we're using that to pay for his assisted living, and um, his house is paid for. Okay, and he has a little blue truck that's at least three decades old. My nephew is driving that now, and if it doesn't run out, we're getting the truck. <laughs> but there will be no surprises after Dad dies and Kent and I go to the bank. We won't be surprised with, oh, my goodness, we had no idea we owned an oil well. Yes! <laughs> oh, my Lanta, I had no idea we have stock in Coca-Cola. <laughs> yes! There will be no surprises. But dad wants me to do it, and I love my dad. And so I went to the bank, and I'm doing what he's telling me to do. My uh, dad taught college uh, for several years. He was chairman of the business division at Southern Nazarene University in Bethany, Oklahoma. And so I saw his signature, Dr. Elmer B. Schellenberger. My brother is a superintendent of schools, and I saw his signature, Dr. A. Kent Schellenberger. And there's their, then there's the line with my name. <laughs> I never really made the academia route. I, some of you probably graduated cum laude, summa cum laude. I graduated kumbaya. <laughs> I'm very proud of that kumbaya degree. <laughs> so I signed it and thought that was it. And Dad said, oh, no, no, honey. He goes, now we, we have something else. Um, we have a safety deposit box. Oh, we do. That caught my attention because I've heard a lot about safety deposit boxes. I'd never seen one. I don't own one. I don't have anything important enough to keep in a safety deposit box. He said, yes, I want to take you now to the safety deposit box. So I watched as a bank employee grabbed a key, and we followed her down this winding staircase to the basement of the bank. It was at least 15 degrees cooler down there, and it was a little bit darker. The lights were dimmed. It was a little eerie. It was a little bit mysterious, the kind of thing that adventure are made up. Oh, I'm getting carried away. But anyway, we went downstairs and I saw that the, the walls were lined with uh, boxes built into the walls, drawers built into the walls. And the bank employee took her key and she went, and she went to a certain box and she put the key in it, took it out a long, narrow box, and then she brought it over to what looked like a pub table because it was kind of high and round, put it on the pub table, and then she left. It was just dad and me in the cold, dark, eerie vault room. The stuff that mysteries, oh, oh yeah, okay. And then on this side of the wall, there was the huge vault, the big wheel with the, the handles on it. It was awesome. And dad said, okay, sweetie. He goes, now I just want you to know this is where we keep all the really important papers. Okay, dad. And he began taking them out one by one off the top and began explaining to me what they were. But I need to confess to you. I wasn't listening. He began taking out paper after paper. I wasn't listening at all. I had no idea what's in that box. Maybe an insurance paper. Maybe the title to the little blue truck. Maybe it's a, the, the house, the thing that says we own the house. I don't know. I wasn't listening because my eyes were pivoted 
down toward the bottom of the box. I saw some envelopes with familiar handwriting on them. The familiar the handwriting said, Elmer B. Schellenberger. And I pulled it out. It had his address on it. It was my handwriting. And I opened the envelope. Dear Dad, happy birthday. Oh, I wish we could be together, but you know, I'm here in Colorado Springs and you're in Oklahoma City. Dad, here's a $5 bill. You take Mom and you go to Burger King and you get a Whopper. And you pretend that I'm there eating it with you. I love you, Dad. Dad, happy Father's Day. Here's a $2 bill. We have a special dad-daughter $2 bill thing between us. Dad, here's a $2 bill. Happy Father's Day. I wish I were there to give you a big hug, but I'll call you. I'll call you on Father's Day. Dad, you go to Wendy's and you get a chocolate frosty. I know how much you love those and pretend that I'm there with you sharing it, okay? Dad, happy birthday. Dad, happy Father's Day. Dad, do you know? If I could have chosen any man in the entire universe to be my daddy, you're the one I would have selected. Dad, you're my hero. Dad, you have instilled within me a spiritual heritage. Dad, I love you with all of my heart. Another $5 bill, another, another, card after card. And I began stacking them together in a neat little pile. And I said, okay, Dad, I'm going to take these home, and we're going to put these in your sock drawer. He said, oh, no, 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 sweetie. You put them right back in the safety deposit box. You see, there's always a chance someone could rob us, could break into the house, and who knows, they could, if they wanted, take the cards in my sock drawer. These are way too valuable not to be kept in the lockbox. I said, oh, Dad, Dad, you're Dad, no. I mean, this is silly. I mean, these are cards from years gone by, Dad. How many cards? There have to be, what, a hundred cards here over the, I mean, Dad, no. And then I continued to look, Dad, you didn't even spend the money. Dad, when I sent you this, I envisioned, I mean, I imagined you sitting at Burger King or eating a chocolate Wendy's Frosty or, or doing the, getting a big gulp or, or going to the IHOP for pancakes. I mean, I imagined all that. And he said, honey. What you sent me was so special, and I cherish it so much, I couldn't spend it. I had to keep it here in a locked box. This is where it stays. Well, then can I have the money back? <laughs> I couldn't help but think if my earthly father cherishes loves what I send him that much. A $5 bill, a $3 greeting card, a $2 bill. How much more so times a bazillion does my heavenly father cherish and save and collect the things that I send him? Every single prayer that you have ever prayed this far in your life and every prayer you will ever pray the rest of your life there in a bowl at God's feet with your name on it. That's how much he loves you. That's how much he loves your prayers. But Susie, even when I'm praying in anger, yes. Even when it's a torn card and it's scribbled or even, even when there's only one dollar instead of the two, yes. He loves every single prayer that you send his way. Why? Because it's from you. And he loves you so much. How's your prayer life? I just have a feeling that sometime during eternity, we'll get some one-on-one -on -one time alone with our Heavenly Father. Wouldn't you think we've got forever? Wouldn't you think we'd get a little one-on-one -on -one time alone with Jehovah God? And I think during that time, it'll be God and you and the prayer bowl. God and me and the prayer bowl. Here it is, Susie. And like going through pages of a scrapbook. God, do you remember this prayer? Of course you do. You remember everything. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Boy, I barely had that out of my mouth, and you had it answered. Thank you. Oh, and then this one. Woo, took you a long time to get that one answered, didn't it? Oh, and then this prayer. Oh, that weighed so heavily on me, and I just I couldn't seem to really to, to discern if you were telling me to go this way or that way, but you brought other people into my life on that prayer, and they helped me finish it, and then I knew which direction to go. Thank you. Oh, and then this one. <laughs> 
Thank you so much for saying no. When I prayed so hard, please, 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 please let me marry him. Please, please, please. Thank you for saying no. How did I know that he would lose all of his teeth and hair in one week? Thank you so much. And then this one. Oh, dear God, I couldn't figure out why it took so long. I didn't, I, I was wondering if you'd even heard that prayer. It took forever for you to answer it. But Father, now that I'm here in your perfect kingdom and you've given me perfect knowledge and wisdom and understanding, it's all clear. Of course it makes sense why this would not have been answered a minute earlier than it was. How's your prayer life? How full is your bowl? Does it have just a few prayers tossed in when your back's against the wall? Or is your bowl just full and overflowing? I hope it's the latter. I, I shared a message on prayer just about a year ago at a camp in West Virginia. It's a big district family camp. And I did a message, and I titled the message, How Full Is Your Bowl? And I was talking about prayer, a message similar to this one. Well, you know, we really do need to edit the things that we type. The guy putting the tape and the CD together and putting the label on the CD just missed a couple of letters. And the heading read, How Full Is Your Bowel? No! No! My question tonight is, How Full Is Your Bowl? How full is your bowl? Well, in a message like this, of course, one of the first things that comes to our mind is Susie. Why does God answer some prayers and some prayers it takes forever? I don't know. When Moses found out his sister Miriam had leprosy, he prayed maybe a 15-second prayer. Boom, her leprosy was healed. And then Elijah, you remember him, we mentioned him the other night, Mount Carmel Arena, Elijah has his bull, God please burn the bull, the prophets of Baal, they have their bull, it took Elijah maybe a 10 second prayer, and his bull was engulfed in flames of fire. But later, when Elijah prayed for rain, he had to pray seven times for rain. Why is it that sometimes we just have to keep coming back and back and back to God? I don't know, could it be? That he wants to develop a fervency in us. I'm, I, I'm not quite finished building inside of your heart that passion. I, I want to work on some more fervency. Come on, keep bringing it back. Keep bringing it back. Could it be he's still working in us and developing that kind of fervency in us that we need in intense prayer? There was a praying, there was a saying when I was growing up about prayer. And the saying was, pray until you pray through. I don't hear that much anymore. Pray until you pray through. Huh, what a concept. Let's push the play button. We're back in Daniel chapter 10. We're nearing the book of Daniel, nearing the end of the book of Daniel. You already know he's been praying and fasting for three solid weeks, okay? And then one day in early April, an angel visits Daniel. An angel. Now, we're not given the name of this angel, so we'll give him a name now. We're going to call him Wendell. Wendell visits Daniel. Daniel's close friends are with him. They can't see Wendell. Daniel can see him, but his friends can't. But they know, they sense, <gasps> something is here from the supernatural realm. We can, we can feel it. We can hear it. We can sense it. It's like we can swallow it. We, we taste it and we are scared to death of it. So we're running. See you, Daniel. And they left him. They ran far and fast. So Daniel alone is with this angel. Daniel himself is so scared that he faints. He is out cold. Let's read it. Daniel chapter 10, beginning with verse 8. When I saw him, my strength left me, and I grew pale and weak with fright. Verse 9. Then he spoke to me, and I fell to the ground, face forward in a deep faint. Daniel's out. <laughs> he's down for the count. He is so frightened. He has fallen face forward, and he's, and he's, and he's out. But in verse 10, but a hand touched me and lifted me. I'm still shaking, trembling to my hands and knees. So I want to make sure you get this word picture painted correctly. At first, Daniel is whoop, face down, just full flat on his, on his stomach and his face. He's down, he's out. And then Wendell, God, through Wendell, places his hand underneath Daniel, like right at his waist, and lifts him up. 
And so now Daniel is on his hands and knees. He's in a dog position. He says, I'm still trembling. So picture a dog that is so frightened, his little tail is tucked between his legs, and he's just shaking for all his might. <laughs> Maybe you've been in that situation, just scared to death that you can't say anything. You can't form words even. It's just... <sighs> And so Daniel is now in a dog position. He's on his hands and his feet. And then I heard his voice. Oh, Wendell is speaking now. Actually, God is speaking through Wendell. And he says, oh, Daniel, greatly beloved of God. I want to reiterate something I mentioned last night. When God speaks to you, he doesn't call you by a label. He calls you by your name. And here's another example. Oh, Daniel, Isaiah 43, 44, 45 you are my chosen ones. You are special. I call you by name. So God, when he speaks to you, will call you by name, and then he's going to affirm or encourage you because God's a people God. We've talked about that. He's crazy about you. He loves you. And so he's going to call you by your name, and then he's going to encourage you. Daniel, greatly beloved of God. There's the intimate calling, the name, and there's the encouragement, beloved of God. Greatly beloved of God. He said, stand up and listen carefully to what I have to say to you. For God has sent me to you. So, I stood up, still trembling with fear. So first he was face forward, flat down. Then he's in a dog position. And now here he is, just like this. But he's still trembling with fear. <laughs> still no words are able to come out of his mouth. He can't really move his hands. and his. It's just... <laughs> and you know what? I think we would probably react the same way. Right now, if we could see a supernatural being come through the doors of our sanctuary, we'd probably react in the same way. <laughs> we've never seen, we've never heard, we've never felt, we've never touched. Right from the supernatural realm, right from the presence of Jesus himself, <laughs> we would be shaking too. We've never experienced that. So I stood up, still trembling with fear. Then in verse 12, Daniel 10, verse 12, then he said, don't be frightened, Daniel. That's the kind of God you serve. You serve a God who longs to comfort you. He wants to strengthen you, and he doesn't want you to be afraid of him. Don't be frightened. I've already affirmed you. I've called you by name. Oh, how I love you. Don't be frightened. Okay, so God is speaking through Wendell. Don't be frightened, Daniel. Now it gets interesting. For your request has been heard in heaven. And if I'm Daniel, I'm thinking, oh, good, good. My prayer did reach the ears of Jehovah God. Good, because I've been praying and fasting intensely, haven't I, for three solid weeks. Oh, it's so good to know. Yes, my prayer was heard in heaven. Oh, I'm so happy. Yes, the prayer got through. And Wendell continues, Wendell continues, your prayer request has been heard in heaven and was answered. Oh, good. <laughs> oh, I'm so happy. My prayer did make it to the ears of Jehovah God. And he's answered my prayer. Oh, thank you. Thank you, Daniel's thinking. Can't say it, but he's trembling, but it's going on in his mind. Oh, good. It, it's been heard and it's been answered the very first day you began to fast before the Lord. Wait, wait a minute. What? The very first. Wait a minute. Okay. This is day 21. Okay. Wait, okay. Hold on a moment. Okay. You mean, okay. I'm not that good at math, but 21 days ago, you, my, my prayer was answered and you were given the answer, and, and you were, the, well, I, I better keep listening. What else is he saying? The very first day you began to fast and pray before the Lord for understanding, that very day I was sent here to meet you. <laughs> Wait a minute. I think if I were Daniel, I would have found my voice real fast right then. Wait a, wait a minute, Wendell. You're telling me that I've gone three weeks without Coca-Cola and Mexican food when I didn't have to, because my prayer reached God on day one, and on day one, he sent you here to give me the answer. Well, where in the world have you been? What, did you lose your GPS? What, did that break down? Did you need to stop for a little angel wing brushing? Did you need to get your, your angel wing shifted or, or realigned? What in the world? But now Wendell continues to explain, but Daniel, for 21 days, I was caught up in intense spiritual warfare in the heavens. 
Can't you see him with the sword? Can't you see him with, can't you see? Yes, I was caught up. It was an intense spiritual battle. And Daniel, I couldn't get a break. Three solid weeks. I couldn't get a break. I couldn't stop. I couldn't blink. It was three, three solid weeks. And Daniel, I was fighting against the demon who controls the country of Persia, Iraq. Now, oh, well, now this changes everything. It changes how I see Wendell. And it changes how I hear Wendell. No longer a pristine being from the supernatural realm in a glowing, with a glowing halo about his head and a, a pristine, soft, satiny uh, robe and sash. But now I see Wendell as a war-torn, beaten messenger of God who's been out on the battlefield. I see the tip of his sword is bent. I see that his hair is drenched, wet with sweat. His left eye has been blackened. His sash is torn. His robe is ripped. His right knee has been broken and it's about the size of a cantaloupe. I see a gash on his left thigh and it's bloodied. I see that his elbow has been bruised and his right arm is nearly out of its socket. His left toe has been cut off. I see a war-torn, beaten angel. And it affects how I hear him. But Daniel, I couldn't get a break. 21 days, I was fighting this demon. And then Daniel, it got so intense that God finally, well, your, your prayers kept getting to God. You just wouldn't let up. Your prayers kept hitting the ear of God. And finally, it became so intense. And your prayers kept getting through that finally... God turned to Michael and he said, Michael, get down there and relieve Wendell because I sent him 21 days ago to give Wendell the answer. Get down here, relieve him, and send Wendell on to give Daniel the answer. And so Daniel, Michael came. Oh, Michael. Okay, now we're getting into a name of angels that we recognize. Now we're into the archangel realm. We recognize the name of Michael, don't we? Now we're getting into the important legion of angels. So Daniel, Daniel, Michael came, and he relieved me. And Daniel, I'm going to give you the answer in just a second. But after I give the answer, I, I've got to get right back and finish that battle. And when that battle's done, I have to move over here to the country of Greece. And then I will be engaged in spiritual battle with the demon who governs the country of Greece. Okay, Daniel, here's your answer. And he gives Daniel chapter 11 and chapter 12. I'm so glad that Daniel continued to pray because if Daniel had not kept praying, we may never have gotten Daniel chapter 11 and Daniel chapter 12. Think about it. Many of us pray for something a day, two days. We don't know what the answer is, so we just pray about something else. Well, I guess God doesn't want me to have the answer to that. We pray about something else. Daniel was persistent in his praying. He prayed until he prayed through. That's how God wants us to pray. But what if Daniel had stopped praying? What if he started praying about something else and he just left that prayer on the shelf? Then maybe Wendell would have simply continued his spiritual battle and never left to give Daniel the answer. Hey, Wendell's doing what he's supposed to do here. He's engaged in spiritual activity. This is spiritual warfare. This is his job at this moment to, to end this battle. Maybe he would have never stopped, but Daniel was persistent, and his prayers kept beating on the ear of God. Remember what Jesus said in the New Testament about that lady that just kept badgering the, the judge? You know, give me justice, give me justice, give me, okay, finally, you can have it. We don't badger God. But he wants us to continue to send our prayers to him until we receive the answer. So it could have been if Daniel would have stopped praying or he would have shifted gears and started praying about something else that we may have never gotten Daniel chapter 11 and Daniel chapter 12. My friends, we need those two chapters because again, we need all the information we can get about the end times. When I get to heaven, I'm going to find Daniel and I'm going to say thank you for being persistent in your prayers until we got the answer. Thank you, because I needed those last two chapters. Thank you, Daniel. How's your prayer life? How full is your prayer bowl? God loves your prayers. 
and he keeps, he collects every single prayer that you pray. It's in your bowl with your name on it. And someday, you'll get to go through those prayers with your Heavenly Father. I need to confess something to you. I was about in the fifth grade. It was the back in the days when we, all churches, still met on Sunday nights. <laughs> and it was back in the days when churches had choirs. <laughs> it was back in the days when choirs sang in the choir loft, and they stayed there for the whole service. So it was a long time ago. But I knew as a fifth grader that whenever, toward the end of the service, when the pastor would stop preaching, and the choir would start singing this certain song, well, my heart would drop. It would sink whenever I would hear, Pass me not, O gentle Savior, hear my humble cry, while on others thou art calling. To not pass me by. I knew whenever the choir would begin to sing that song, the altar would be open. And people would begin to come and pray. And I knew, like clockwork, Elmer B. Schellenberger, my dad, would go down to the altar and he would help people pray. And he would stay there until they prayed through. And that meant for me as a fifth grader, I would miss my favorite Sunday night TV show, Candid Camera. <laughs> now, a few years older, maybe a tiny bit wiser, I'm very grateful for a spiritual heritage like that. Very grateful to have a dad who, gave, who set the spiritual tone in our home, laid the spiritual foundation, and gave me the spiritual heritage, Susie, pray until you pray through. Most of us don't do that. As I mentioned before, we've become kind of microwave Christians. We're in a fast-paced, hurry up, make it work now type of culture. Pop it in, pop out the answer. We want it now. I've given you the prayer, now give me the answer. What if God is calling us to be crockpot Christians <laughs> instead of microwave Christians? You know how you go home and the pot roast has been in the crockpot all morning and you go home and that... Uh, aroma has saturated your home, hasn't it? Oh, it's permeated your house. What if God is saying, not yet. I want that prayer to cook a little bit longer. I want the aroma of that prayer not to simply be between you and me, but I want the rest of your family in on the aroma of this prayer. I want the rest of your small group to participate in the cooking of that prayer. I want this prayer that's cooking and, and savoring in the crock pot. I want the aroma to fill your entire church. So I'm not finished with it yet. Keep on cooking it. There will come a time when I'll take the top off. But for now, I want to spread the aroma, not just between us, but I want that aroma to flood those around you. Savior, Savior. Hear my humble cry, while on others thou art calling. Please, God, do not pass me by. So how do we end this? Even though our revival has ended on the calendar, I've already prayed for you that it will not end in reality. That though the dates on the calendar have now passed for revival, the revival will continue to go on. And I would like to wrap up this evening with prayer. I'd like for us to take maybe the next 10 minutes. I don't know, however long you want to take. And I would like to invite you to come and pray. What do we pray about, Susie? Anything and everything. And don't forget to thank God for his answers. But before we do that, how long did Daniel pray? Three solid weeks. I'm guessing there are some of you right here, right now, who have also prayed three solid weeks about something. And you don't have the answer yet.
and you're tempted to stop praying or you're tempted to change your course and just pray about something else. No, don't grow weary in your praying. Be persistent. God answers every prayer. I'm willing to guess that in a crowd this size, some of you have not only prayed three weeks, some of you here have prayed for three months about something. You haven't received the answer yet, and you're growing weary. Please be persistent. Keep praying. Let God build the fervency. Keep coming back to him. Keep coming back. Some of you, dear friends, <laughs> have prayed for three years about something. And you are very frustrated. And you have grown weary. I have to tell you, be persistent. God answers every prayer. And some of you, dear saints, have prayed for 30 years about something. And you're beginning to question, God, are my prayers just bouncing off the wall? Have they even left the earthly realm and entered the spiritual realm? Father, have you ever, have you even heard the prayer? It's been 30 years. Yes. He's answering. He will answer. Or he's already answered. But God answers every prayer. And his message to you through me tonight is, don't grow weary in your praying. Be persistent. You see, it could be that God has already sent you the answer. But your stage is so cluttered. We talked about it Sunday morning in the 11 o'clock service. That you can't even see God's answer. Tonight, you might need to pray about clearing the stage. God, if you've sent me the answer, I want to know it. I need to see it. So remove anything else in my life that could be blocking that answer. It could be that God's answer is on the way. But I know this. Your prayers are still in God's active box. And they will always remain in his bowl. So how do we work this? Well, I'd love to dim the lights. We're going to sing that little song that I just sang. Jody's going to lead it for us. And then I want to take the next several minutes. I don't, it's however long you want to pray. Ten minutes, five minutes, twelve minutes. You set the tone. You set the time. And I would love for all of us as a church body, collectively as a body, to participate in this. To come forward, spend a few minutes praying about whatever you need to pray about. It might be something that we've discussed in revival. It might be something completely unrelated Come and pray. When you've finished, go and sit back down. Some more people come. Some of you pray better when you pace. Fine. Get up and go in the back and just pace back and forth and pray as you pace. But I want everybody to participate. Now, some of you just can't kneel. Your knees just won't let you. And if that's true, then I want to invite you to go back to the tables where we had supper and sit and pray there. And when you've finished, go back and find your seat. But if you can come forward to kneel, go ahead and do that. But let's all participate, just not all at once. We'll do it as a come and go prayer time.